Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I want to welcome you as we continue in our series, Matters of the Heart. Whether you are watching at home, online, or you're in our encounter service and you're watching on the screen, I'm glad that you're here as we continue in this series in which we've been talking about some of the dangerous emotions inside each one of us. And they are like beasts that we are constantly struggling with and they are rattling the cage inside our heart trying to get out to do damage in our life. And we're looking at a very interesting emotion today. Uh, Well, let me ask you a question. Whether you're there at home or there in the encounter service, uh, raise your hand because I can see you, you know. Raise your hand. How many of you are on Facebook? Okay, okay. Well, my wife doesn't get on Facebook very much, and, and I know many of you have that same Uh, kind of issue because uh, sometimes we read things on Facebook and we say, wow, did they really just say that for the world to hear? Uh, But most of the time, I really enjoy it because it gives me a window into the lives of our church members and uh, friends and and old friends that I don't get to see very much. And, And you kind of get to share a little bit in the events of their lives. Uh, whether it would be uh, a birthday or an anniversary or a wedding or a a graduation like I saw many uh, this week. But it was very interesting. Uh, Pastor Steve gave me uh, the results of a study that he came across that two different universities conducted, and it said this about Facebook users that one in three Facebook users reported increased feelings of these emotions, dissatisfaction, loneliness, frustration, and anger after using Facebook. But of all the emotions that they reported feeling, the most prominent emotion from Facebook users was envy. Envy. And it was interesting what it was on Facebook that would stir up envy. The number one trigger of envy for Facebook users was vacation photos. <laughs> vacation photos to see what people are doing. On, and you know, I can kind of understand that because I, I see what you people are doing on vacation. Uh, it's been a little bit difficult, uh, like many of the rest of you, Cindy and I have had to cancel some of our plans for time away for a few days of vacation here and there. We'll eventually catch up, but uh, some of you have continued to be able to go on vacation, and I see pictures of M1ers at the lake and in the mountains and at Disney World and Universal Studios uh, and at the beach. And, and not just at Galveston, where Cindy and I will uh, often go, but at beaches where there's really blue water. And I'll just confess, I have to, to work against the temptation to envy. 
and to kind of have deep down inside just a little bit of a desire that you'd get sunburned. <laughs> That's disgraceful, isn't it? But, I mean, envy can sneak up on any of us. And so today we want to talk about how devastating and destructive envy can be. I looked up envy in the dictionary, and here's what it said. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Or I could add, or vacation. Uh, Discontented feelings, resentful longings. And really, and Pastor Steve said this so well, for a Christ follower, what envy is actually saying is, God, what you have given me is not enough. It's not enough. I want what he has. I want to be more like her. God, what you've given me and what you've made me to be, it's just not enough enough. And so when you give in to envy, when envy becomes in charge of your heart, you are constantly looking and wanting and stirred up inside because you're not satisfied with who you are and what you have. You want better, you want different, you want more. And here's the reality. There's no end game to envy. There's no end game. There's never a time for the person who's envies where, where they would say, okay, now I've got enough. Now I'm content. No. It's like the hamster on the wheel. You ever seen that little hamster and the, the little guy is just running and running and running and it's just going around and around and getting nowhere? Envy is an endless cycle of never enough, never satisfied. And so my big idea for today is really pretty simple. Listen, friends, there is no upside to envy. There's just no advantage to it. There's no win. There's there's no way that it brings satisfaction. And yet envy is an incredibly common emotion. And this is not new. It's not a new problem. And it's not even restricted to uh, cultures like ours that have more than we could ever, uh, ever long for in many ways. Not, not the affluence of our society uh, alone, but instead envy has been around, well, for instance, it was around 3,000 years ago when Solomon, who was known as the wisest and the richest man of his day, wrote in Proverbs 14, verse 30. Solomon said, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. But jealousy, and that word in the Hebrew is translated in other versions as envy, is like cancer in the bone. A peaceful heart uh, gives spirit and life to someone. It even makes your body more healthy when you are content and happy. But 
The reason that we've included envy in our series, Matters of the Heart, is because it's one of those emotions that impacts your whole life in a negative way. Solomon said, it's like a cancer. It's like a cancer inside of you. Solomon wrote another book of the Old Testament. Actually, it was his journal. As Solomon undertook a project to observe life and people, to try to discover the meaning of life. And he journaled his observations and his findings. And we know that journal as the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too, Solomon said, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Like chasing the wind. You never get there. You never catch it. You never succeed. When you envy, you are in a constant competition in your mind. You are constantly looking at someone else to see how you measure up. And here's the thing with envy. People who envy compete with other people who don't even know they're in a contest. They may have no idea that you're comparing yourself to them or that you feel like you've got to one-up them somehow. I heard a story about someone in a neighborhood who was about to put a new swimming pool in their backyard. And they heard that their new neighbor that had just moved in had, had just finished a swimming pool. And so they told their contractor, go find out how big that neighbor's pool is, and I want my pool to be just a little bit bigger and a little bit better. How foolish a competition. You see, envy promotes a contest in which there is no winner and only one loser. If you buy a big house, someone else will have a bigger house. If you buy a new Mercedes, someone else will have a Bentley. If your kids or your grandkids are smart, somebody else's are going to be smarter. If they're pretty, somebody else's are going to be prettier. If they're athletic, somebody else's kids are going to be athletic-er or whatever. I heard a pastor say, there's always an err. Whatever it is you're looking at and wanting, there's somebody else who's going to be bigger, richer, better, whatever err. There will always be an err. Whatever it is, someone else will always have more, will always be bigger, will always be better. And so if envy is a struggle for you, if you are silently saying, okay, maybe this is an issue with my heart, then there's a question I want to ask you. Here's the question. Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? Uh, Cindy and I have always tried to be encouragers. 
we look for people who have done something well, they've accomplished something, there's a, a quality about them that we see and admire, and we've always tried to encourage them. And often, Cindy and I will sincerely say to someone, we want you to know that we're proud of you. And I can tell you, on numerous occasions, I've had someone say back to me, I wish my father would say that just once. Or sometimes they speak in the past tense and they say, I wish my father would have said that to me just once. And yet they're still striving, they're still struggling to impress a father or someone else in their past who's not even alive anymore and they can never get there. Can you relate to that? If that's an issue with you, then envy for you may not be wanting more or better. Envy for you just might be wanting that approval or that affirmation that you deserved, but you never received. And that kind of envy creates a hunger in your heart, and it can take control of your heart. It can become in charge of your heart. And so I want to say to you, if envy is an issue, if it's a matter of your heart, for you to be healthy, for you to be whole, for you to finally be content and happy. Listen, there must be a shift. There's got to be a change. And I want to tell you clearly, if you're a Christ follower, this is what you need to do. You need the Holy Spirit to turn that envy for approval away from that imperfect person and to Jesus. That envy for approval away from that person that perhaps will never ever give it to you and turn it toward Jesus. There's a song that we sing in Encounter and Resonate that says to the Lord, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. And if you're a Christ follower, that song is about you. But if you don't turn envy away from whoever it is that is imperfect and can never give you that kind of satisfaction you are seeking and turn that toward your Lord and Master, it can be destructive in your heart and in your life. And listen, when envy is in control of your heart, it turns inward into depression or it turns outward into bitterness and anger. So as Christ followers, we must make a conscientious, intentional decision that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that envy will not be in charge of our heart. But with that decision that envy will not be in charge of our heart, we must decide what will. And so we must intentionally decide 
that there will be someone else who will help us to know who we are and what we are to do. If not, we will find ourselves on that that wheel that the hamster runs on, trying to win a contest we can never win. The Apostle Paul understood living in that kind of contest. In his old life as Saul, he tried to win by being the best possible Jewish man he could be. Uh, He grew up in the, the Jewish religion and all of its structure and its rules and its laws. And it was not until he met Jesus that he was set free, set free from trying to win the contest, set free to pursue in love his Lord and Master. And he tried to communicate that to the Christ followers in Philippi. Look at what he said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. I'll start at the end of verse 3. Paul said, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And that was not just empty boasting for Paul. He recounts his credentials beginning in verse 5, as a Jew. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Circumcision for a Jewish male was the, the identifying mark. It was the proud badge of being a Jewish man. He said, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. His bloodline was impeccable. It was esteemed. He said, I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. And then he he mentioned that accomplishment that was the, the apex of Jewish religious life. He said, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness and what he means there, as for keeping every part of the Jewish law, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul is saying, in my old life, whatever a Jew had, I had more. I didn't have to envy others. I was the envy of other Jewish men. Paul goes on to say, as Solomon had said, I found it to be meaningless. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Worthless because of what Christ has done. What a powerful word that is. They're worthless. What could be so much better than those things that he had spent his earlier life striving for that in comparison, all those lofty accomplishments were just worthless? Verse 8, he said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. I threw it away so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul had discovered it. He had found that meaning to life, that chasing after with all of those things that in his culture and in his day were the pursuits thought worthwhile. And he learned that it's not about having more. It's not about accomplishing more. It's not about impressing anyone. It's about being faithful on the journey that is set before us by our Lord and master, being faithful all the way to the end. Here's what Paul discovered. Life is not a contest we win. It's a race we run to the end, to the end. You don't have to be successful. He only wants you to be faithful, faithful. And let me tell you something. Don't miss this. He is already impressed with you. He is already impressed with you. He knows your failures. He knows my faults. He knows how we fall short over and over again. And yet he sees us through the eyes of unconditional sacrificial love. And he looks upon us and says, oh, my child, Well done, well done. And for us as Christ followers, we must come to the point where we understand to please him, to impress him. He's the only one that really matters, the only one. Listen, you only know if you're running the right race, if you're running for the right person. You don't have to be more. You don't have to be better. You don't have to be different. It's not about who you are in your own strength. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's about how God's strength and glory and power can be made known through you. And sometimes that's not through your strength. It's through your weakness. Paul's race was run with what he called a thorn in the flesh. We, we are almost certain it was some kind of physical ailment. I agree with the scholars who have concluded uh, because of things that Paul said elsewhere in his letters that it was some kind of optical disease, his eyesight. And I know Paul must have thought over and over and over, if I just had better eyesight, I could do more for my master. And I know he, he prayed to the one that he had seen heal the blind and even raise the dead who he knew could, could heal him of that issue, that thorn in the flesh. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, he said, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And I'm sure he said, Lord, I could do more. I could be better. I could accomplish more. But look, verse 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power, don't miss this, 
because it applies to you and me. My power works best in weakness. And it was as if right there at that period, Paul says, I got it. I understand. It's not about being better. It's not about having more. It's not about people admiring me or thinking well of me. It's not about me. He says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He said, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong through the power of Christ. Listen, when you run the race that God has planned for you, you don't have anything to prove to anybody, not even yourself. You don't have anything to prove. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody. Don't let the enemy pull you into the comparison trap to put you on that hamster wheel of running and running and running and never getting anywhere. Instead, just run the race he has set before you. Let him show you how that unwinds step by step. Run the race that only you can run. And if you will, you won't find your contentment in what you have or how you compare or what people think. All those things, as Paul said, will be like garbage. And here's what he said to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6. He said, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. It's not about what we have. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Because if we don't, if we fall into the envy trap, the comparison trap, we get on that hamster wheel that we can never win. Verse 9 but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Listen, God wants so much more for you than that. God wants you to trade envy for contentment, for contentment. What God has planned for you is enough. It's good enough. In fact, it's the very best. He has custom designed a race that only you can run. No one else can run the race that he has divinely ordained for you. And your race is the best for you. 
And you don't have to envy, which says to the Lord, Lord, I'm ungrateful. I don't think it's enough. I want more. It's not good enough. I want different. No. You can say, Lord, I'm not ungrateful. I am deeply grateful to you. I'm not discontent. I am happy with who you've made me to be and what you've given me to do. And I'm learning how to be faithful. So here are the next steps I want to challenge you to take with this truth today. Number one, if there's somebody that you're jealous or envious of, stop chasing them and chase after Jesus to know him. Instead of that endless cycle and that, that wheel that you're, you can never get off of, that contest you can never win, find the joys of growing closer to Jesus as you faithfully run the race that is divinely ordained for you. And number two, instead of comparing yourself to someone else, count your blessings and thank the one who gave them to you. Contentment and satisfaction is so much better than never enough. Don't allow envy to be in charge of your heart because there's no upside to envy. Let me pray for you. Father, help us to find that contentment that you have for us. Lord, help us to believe you when you say that the race you have designed for us is what will give us the greatest contentment, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest sense of value because we will be fulfilling the divine calling of the God of the universe, the God who sent his son to die for us so that we might become his follower, his child. You are a good, good father. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen.